As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the you ain't no bark, dude. Straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights. All right, welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Of course, this episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I've got... Andy Bitter with me, of course, who covers the Virginia Tech Hokies and and hosts our Atlantic and Coastal podcast here at The Athletic. It's a big Monday morning, Andy. It it was recording this here at 8.53 a.m. on Monday, October 11th. Uh, Manny Diaz went on the radio here locally a little while ago and announced that Dear King is having season-ending surgery and... Tyler Van Dyke, the second-year freshman who started against Virginia and Central Connecticut State um, while King has been out, will be the starter essentially the remainder of the season because Jake Garcia, who had been competing with him for the backup job, had ankle surgery after the Central Connecticut State game. So Miami starts the season 14th in the country, all these expectations, all these seniors back. We're going to run it back. We're going to win the Coastal this year. We're going to set Manny Diaz off. And this is going to be the beginning of the turnaround. And today, five games in, we're talking about the Air King being done for the year and everybody wants Manny Diaz fired. So things are going swimmingly here in Coral Gables in South Florida. Um, curious from an outsider's perspective, what do, what do you think of this fire, this, this, this gigantic garbage can fire that's been going on here in South Florida? Well, first of all, uh, kudos to Manny Diaz for going up at seven o'clock on a Monday morning. Hey, respect the bus stop procedure for some of us who have kids here. Right. Uh, th- thankfully, Justin Fuente doesn't get up that early in the morning to make news like that. Uh, that's pretty rough to have to start your week off like that. Uh, from afar, yeah, it, it looks uh, pretty dire in Miami. And I came into the season. I mean, I, I sort of reluctantly voted Miami second in the coastal because I didn't quite believe the whole Derek King is healthy and back. And it, maybe I was misguided on that because this is not his knee that is the problem here. It's, it's the shoulder that he's getting surgery on. So uh, maybe that was misguided. But this was a team that felt like it was so dependent on what Derek King did last year. 
that they were going to win or lose based on how he played. And then I'm trying to imagine a season or a situation where he's not in the game. And I go, that Miami team is just not as good without him, obviously. And I, I think it's a significant drop off uh, to the backup. So now I don't know where sort of the, uh, the ballast of this team is. I don't know who leads this group right now. And, uh, you know, watching the last couple games or watching the Virginia game, they look uh, pretty lost for a while in that game against a team that has a pretty bad defense. And sure, they should have won it. They got in field goal range and, and doink the field goal like that. But I don't know. This is a, a, a team. I, I think it could get ugly going forward uh, with the quarterback situation. And, and I guess I guess I shouldn't say that this week because they're playing a team that has been equally as hit or miss in North Carolina, where you have absolutely no idea what you're going to get. They, I don't think they'll be putting up 700 yards in this game uh, against Miami, just because I don't think the Tar Heels are nearly as good as everybody's making them out to be either. Yeah. It's funny. Like people have been messaging me knowing, you know, the preseason predictions, right? I picked North Carolina win. I picked Miami second. And I made such a big deal about this North Carolina game in the preseason because it was like, well, you're going to have Derek versus Sam Howell and you're going to have two of the best teams. And they're probably they could, you know, Miami is going to come in here probably with one loss to Alabama and, and be four and one. And North Carolina could be undefeated. And, you know, it, it's just been a, a shit show, you know, for, for lack of a better term for both teams this year. Um, and, and what's interesting, you know, let, let's start with Derek King, first of all, because this is this guy. Let's focus on that first. The Air King um, put his heart and soul for Miami. I mean, playing uh, injured at different points through last year, I thought he, you know, was dealing with ankle stuff. Uh, leads him to an eight and one start, as you mentioned. You know, they were playing so well, and then they end the season with him going out with that season-ending injury. And um, you know, it, it it seemed to me like this was a guy that potentially could really help Manny Diaz and this program get back on its feet. And yet Miami's lost five games in a row to power five teams. Um, three of them with Derek starting at quarterback. Um, actually four of them. Now that I think about it. Um, and I wrote this a couple of weeks ago that I felt that maybe Manny Diaz had put too much on Derek's plate, you know, that this was too much about um, how he uh, performed. And if he didn't perform well, they were going to lose. I want to get your perspective on that just from a football perspective, you know, do coaches make mistakes, maybe putting too much on one guy's shoulder. I kind of compared it to the NBA. Like they kind of gave Derek the ball and we're like, okay, Allen Iverson, go get him." Like at times it really felt that way for Miami. When you look at this from big picture wise, do you do at all fault Manny Diaz and the way that he sort of ran this team, giving everything to Derek's shoulder and putting it all on his shoulders? Or did he do the right thing? Did he just say, Hey, this is my best player. He's our leader. Let me let let me let him do his job. Well, it's a tough one to answer. I, I want to go back. Those people getting on your case about the uh, coastal divisions <laughs> like you try picking this conference before the season. Oh, like you had Pitt and Wake Forest at the win- midway point of the season as the leader. Like, come on. Yeah, nobody's getting that stuff right. Don't get on our case for preseason predictions. And as for uh, Diaz and King, it's tough. Because it's not like this is a running back or something like that. They're like, he, you know, he gave it at 45 times a game or something that you know that he's going to take a hit on every play. Uh, he's going to wear down. That's just like proven through science that you know running backs will wear down if you give them the ball that much. Quarterbacks are uh, sort of a different animal when we're talking about this. They can do things to avoid hits on the field. They can throw the ball away. They don't have to run all the time like that. Uh, I, I think my concern coming into the season 
And, you know, I saw Derek King play last year in Blacksburg, and, and I think he was banged up in that game, and he was phenomenal in that game behind a bad offensive line. Mm-hmm. And he was really the reason they won that game, that him and the defense uh, coming through in that game. But I think the thing that kind of struck out to, there's, uh, stuck out to me was that he's not a big guy. He's pretty slight in stature uh, for what I expected going in. And it just made me wonder, how's this guy going to hold up? It's sort of how I feel about Braxton Burmeister with Virginia tech. And now he's banged up right now. He's had, uh, you know, had a shoulder injury the other day. So he's not the biggest guy and he runs a lot. He takes a lot of punishment out there. Uh, and, and it's a tough thing to absorb. And, and you just go, I, I don't know how this guy's going to make it through the season. So uh, from that perspective of it, I, I think you have to look at it and go, maybe take a little bit off his plate, but if you're Manny Diaz and your job depends on this, and he is clearly the best player on your team, you're going to ride him. And you're going to give him the ball and no, no player in that situation is like, no, take a little off my plate, coach. I'm all right. Like they want the ball. They want to be that guy that the team uh, relies on. So I'm sort of mixed on this because the coach sort of has to, to take that into consideration at the same time, the other forces are pulling him the other way because they want him to win and they need him to win and he needs to win to keep his job. So uh, I think in the big picture, injuries happen in football and they're tough to predict. And you're at the quarterback position. I think there's some ways to mitigate it, maybe not call as many direct run plays for the quarterback. But when he's out there improvising and scrambling and gets hit on something like that, that's kind of tough to avoid. That that's just kind of happens in football. So I, I don't really put that too much on the coaches, I think. Well, we're going to find out, you know, how good a coach Manny Diaz and Rhett Lashley are here moving forward, because this is a team, obviously, and, and, and I think part of what you have to recognize with Derek is it's not just what he did football wise for you, but leadership wise, because everybody sort of looked to him on the sideline all the time. Like he's he's the guy that's going to pull us out of this situation. Um, and I think emotionally and mentally, when that guy goes down or he gets hurt and the guys around them are like, oh, man, we just we just lost our best player. Like it can it can really trouble a team right they might not ever recover from that it certainly happens in the nba right we've seen teams the best player goes down the season's over with um but i, I guess from manny diaz's perspective you know i get it he, he had to put a lot on Derek's shoulders he had accomplished a lot his first year but i guess from my perspective what i was saying is like at some point you kind of have to turn the focus to hey the rest of you guys need to get better and obviously miami has a boatload of issues they're the worst tackling team in college football or have been for most of the season, even if the stats don't back it up anymore. Um, and, and so they've got their own issues on defense, but offensively now it's where do you, where's your identity now? Right. Because he, he's done for the year. Can Tyler Van Dyke lead this team anywhere? Can they get to a bowl game with him at quarterback? Um, can the offense run efficiently? I mean, they haven't run efficiently all season. Um, but I saw enough from him. I thought in the fourth quarter where I was encouraged um, in the sense that, you know what? He may open up some things from this Miami passing game. They've got better receivers this year. Um, they were able to move the ball down the field against Virginia, which, okay, everybody kind of moves the ball against Virginia. But, but, but still, for Miami, it felt like things were getting better on the offensive end at the end of that game. When you look at the rest of this conference and you look at Tyler Van Dyke, and I, and I realize it's a small sample size. But when you when you just look at him and, and the way that this division has sort of broken this year with all these sort of surprises, um, even though it is you know coastal chaos, um, what, how do you sort of envision this team moving forward now with Tyler Van Dyke as its guy? Well, I don't like Miami's chances 
mm-hmm. just to say that. But I look at a lot of teams in the ACC and I don't like their chances. I, I might not even <laughs> like Virginia Tech's chances, depending on how the injury news shakes out at quarterback today. Uh, so it, it sort of evens itself out a little bit. Yeah, I think the Hurricanes will struggle here. Uh, you don't start a, a young quarterback like this and completely sort of reshape your offense without having it be a, a significant change. Now, if they had like the number one ranked defense in the country and they could just sort of slog through it on offense and get by, yeah, I think you could be competitive. But uh, you've got to score some points in this league, especially if you're going to give up some points as that defense has. But then I look at the schedule. And the UNC-NC State pit, that's a tough stretch coming up. So three teams playing, well, two of those teams are playing pretty well. UNC, who knows what you're going to get. You could get a team that could put up 60. You could get a team that could put up six, and it could go either way uh, this week. So I don't really know on that one. But after that, Georgia Tech, they've been up and down. Florida State's, you know, they won last week, but I, I still don't quite buy that there. Virginia Tech is sort of uh, Jekyll and Hyde too. And then at Duke, I mean, there, there are games there that you can win. And there are games that I think that there's enough there that this team could still get bowl eligible. Now, I don't think they're going to go and win the Coastal or anything like that. But I think at this point, when you're down to uh, a backup quarterback like this and the defense isn't playing well and you got to try to rally the troops here, bowl eligibility might be the, the best goal that you can have out there. I know Miami fans don't want to hear that, but uh, that's probably... Uh, what they're shooting for right now at two and three at this point of the season. So I'm not going to say I like their chances, but in in the ACC, anything is possible. And and there are a lot of bad teams with issues of their own in the ACC. And that opens up some opportunities. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, you you obviously seen this uh, North Carolina team, which is up next uh, for Miami. Up close, uh, Virginia Tech beat them at home to start the year 17-10. Sam Howell in this offense, uh, obviously not the same uh, unit that they were a year ago uh, and defensively they, they've given up a lot of points uh, they've, they've just had a lot of breakdowns you and I are covering two coaches that are you know on the proverbial hot seat right I mean is Mac does Mac Brown deserve a little heat for this start I mean this team was supposed to win the division well I, I saw his quote the other day it was like this is on the media for hyping us up before the thing it's like <laughs> yeah nice try, us. Nice try back. Nice try. You're the one that's been talking up this team the whole time in the offseason. I don't know what to make of UNC. I I don't think I would put Mac on the hot seat because he's sort of brought life back to that program. You look at how they've recruited. uh, There's just a lot of juice with that program. I know the on-field product hasn't been as good as they hoped, 
but uh, you know, if you're a school like North Carolina that hasn't won the ACC since what, like 1981 or something like that, I, I forget the exact year. Yeah. It's been 40 years or Forever. something like that. Perhaps it was ridiculous to put these kind of expectations on it in the preseason. This is just sort of what North Carolina does is not quite reach those lofty expectations. But uh, you know, compared to a couple of years ago when they had Fedora and they were terrible and like two and ten or whatever the record was. I think UNC's sitting in pretty good shape relative to that. So I, I don't think Mac Brown is on any kind of hot seat, but that said, I don't think they're going to uh, be in the mix to win the coastal uh, at the end of the year at two and three already this year. Yeah. At this point, who is the favorite? Who do we, uh, you know, do we, it's gotta we, be Pitt, right? It's gotta be. I mean, they lost to Western Michigan. I, I don't know. Like, how do you, I know he's been hot. I know um, Kenny Pickett, what I'm throwing out his numbers here, 72% completion percentage, 1,700 yards, 19 touchdowns, one pick. They really haven't, I mean, who have they played too? That's the other aspect is have they, have they smoked any really good teams? Well, they beat Tennessee. Right. And Tennessee actually looks like competent this year. Okay. So it's not like Tennessee, you're beating them in past years. Uh, they beat Georgia Tech, which is, all over the place. So I don't really know what to make of that. And of course, mm-hmm. the Western Michigan loss, which I've said is like the throw people off the scent. It's like a classic <laughs> pit move. Like we're getting a little bit too much attention here. Let's throw people off the scent. Let's lose to Western Michigan. Uh, that's the thing with this team and, and really this division is you can think, okay, this team is the clear front runner. And then they'll turn around and just completely be terrible the next game in ways that you can't even like fathom them being terrible like unc losing to florida state last week it's like what wait wait like if you want to extend it to the entire acc wake forest doesn't look great against syracuse last week after we're talking wake forest up all this time so i feel like there's something in like the the conference that whenever a team sort of gets up to that 15 16 range in the rankings like there's some sort of magnet just just repels them back out of the rankings like you get up, Wake is approaching that uh, event horizon, whatever you want to talk about it here. Like Wake Forest is 16th, for yeah, 16th <laughs> right now. They are just getting ready to be thrust out of the rankings with reckless abandon here because that's when anybody starts to creep up towards that top 10, they have to be humbled in the ACC. So maybe Pitt, uh, you know, Pitt is not ranked right now. I'm looking at this right now. I don't see a number next to their name. Mm-hmm. Nobody's um, buying. Nobody's buying because that was nobody's buying. Was. I don't know. That That's a really good offense. And yeah. if you're really good on one side of the ball, that puts you ahead of about 90% of the teams Very good in point. the ACC right now. So maybe I would take Pitt, <laughs> but I do that having absolutely zero confidence that the Panthers will follow through. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. I went on Sirius XM radio. I think it was Thursday or Friday on the ACC network. And uh, Nicole Auerbach, our Nicole Auerbach was on there. And one of the questions I was asked towards the end was, can you explain what's happening in college football, right? Like all of these teams, all these power five teams, you know, losing to G5 schools, uh, just the, you know, the upsets every other week. Here's my thought. I, I look, the, the recruiting guys, I think they do the best job they can, right? I, I think there's a lot of overhype in the recruiting rankings, like the same way that there's a gap between maybe the top three or four teams every year in college football and everybody else, right? The, the Georgias, the Alabamas, you know, the Clemsons, uh, Ohio States, and, and then everybody else. I, I think we need to kind of put a huge gap in the recruiting rankings as well, because they're getting all the best players. Those four schools are getting all the best players. And when the rest of the guys kind of go to everywhere else, that's what you're getting. You're getting, 
you know, mixed bag. Every, this is like becoming the NFL, right? Where it's impossible to not have two or three losses for everybody else because you can show up one week and not the next. I think it's a talent disparity. And I think, unfortunately, it's like we all have this preset notion in our brains that, well, it's Miami Virginia Tech. They should be Duke and whoever else they play, right? Because there's more talent. I don't think the talent gap is that wide anymore. Yeah, I, I think you look at the, the talent disparity and uh, it's a real exponential line where mm-hmm. those those top schools get a lot of it and then kind of steeps down and there's that curve. And, you know, the difference between, you know, 15th and 40th in the recruiting rankings is probably pretty negligible. I mean, you're talking about uh, slight differences in star rankings and then those don't always work out and some schools. Uh, recruit better than what those star rankings uh, indicate. They're just good at developing players. You look at Wake Forest. That's a school that redshirts everybody. They're all old. They're all developed over time. And that's how you sort of close the gap on, uh, you know, a school like Miami that takes a bunch of transfer portable guys and high, high ranked, high ranked recruits that uh, are maybe often volatile and don't work out at a school like that. So I just like the fact that the rest of college football is sort of experiencing what we experience in the coastal right. division every year. It's right. like, it's like diehard. It's like, <laughs> welcome to the party, pal. This right. is what it's like every single season in the coastal division. And now the entire country is like that. And any week, except outside of Georgia, it seems like anybody could lose. And that, that makes this a fun year. This is almost like that. I don't think it's quite on the level of 2007 when that was just like a crazy uh, year. But I feel like it's getting that direction, like one Georgia loss. And yeah, we're looking at 2007 again, where you got maybe Iowa is the number one team in the country. I mean, that's really weird. That's something Mm -hmm. that hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah, I uh, yeah, this 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 season has just been so wacky. But in the end, I think it's going to be the same team. I think it's going to be Alabama. I think it's going to be Georgia. Right. It's going to be the ones Ohio State will get in there somehow. They're going to upset Iowa at some point. It's just it's just the way it works every single year. Ohio State has like a bunch of ranked teams that they can play. Like they'll have opportunities to play their way in. Right. I think I think I'll be disappointed if like Clemson or Oklahoma get in. Like Clemson especially because they're like two losses and they're like out of it. So I wouldn't imagine they would. But Oklahoma feels like it should have lost four games already this season, and it's still sitting there unbeaten. It's like, are you kidding me? They're going to get into the playoff and get like a four seed and they will Georgia if- by 50 points in the semifinal. Like I'm so sick of it. Get some new blood. I'd rather see Cincinnati go in there. I was really how Cincinnati can do. I was really rooting, rooting for Oregon. I thought yeah, Oregon you know, would be an interesting one too. Yeah. But we'll see if they can, they can finish the, I mean, they keep losing guys left and right. So uh, let's end it with this. You again, you and I covered two guys that, that are on the hot seat constantly um, because college football has changed so much. And, and, and it's no longer, hey, you know, the traditional powers are, are running the table or losing one or two games a year. They're losing three or four or five in some instances like Miami has for a long time now. Um, do we have to recalibrate our expectations? The fan bases need to, especially the ones that we cover, right? I, I, I think in some way, shape or form, you have to sort of look at read the room, right? I mean, or, or is it deserved? Does Manny Diaz, has he done such a poor job? Has has your coach uh, over there at Virginia Tech? I know this is a tough subject, but has he struggled enough where you say, yeah, they got to bring somebody else in? Or is this just, you know, do we have to recalibrate our thinking with with the way college football is now? You know, I I think there's maybe a little recalibration of thinking Mm -hmm. just because the money side has seeped so much into college football these days that uh, it's not like it wasn't around 2000 
mm-hmm. Virginia Tech could have the you know second or third highest paid coaching staff and be right in there in the mix. And you know, not coincidentally, that was when they were at the height uh, of a program playing for the national championship. But they got to be better than this, right? I mean, I mean, Virginia Tech has hovered around 500 basically for the last decade outside of a few years where, you know, 10 and four and Fuente's first year, uh, nine and five, I think the year after that. So outside of those two years, this has basically been a 500 program in Miami, you know, some spikes there every now and then, but it feels like they're kind of hovering around 500 quite often as well. And it feels like these programs can be better than that. And I I look at Fuente's case, this is year six. Is it going to change? At this point, I mean, it's year six and they, the offense is really struggling. The numbers are as bad as it's been here. Uh, you know, he was brought in, promised with this, uh, you know, record breaking offense. You're not going to have to play perfect defense anymore. And I look at the, the standings here and Virginia Tech has 123 points through five games. That's the fewest in the ACC outside of uh, Clemson. <laughs> wow. Fun. Oddly enough, outside right. of Clemson. Uh, <laughs> So that that's just not a situation that you're like, okay, it feels like this thing is getting better. I look at Manny Diaz and, uh, you know, he's a defensive uh, genius that was supposed to be his thing. And he's thrown coaches overboard. He's already, he's already used his two you know, Trump cards out of his pocket. So he's got rid of an offensive coordinator and got rid of a defensive coordinator, taken over the, the play calling on defense and the defense isn't very good. And, you know, he's had less time than Fuente. So maybe I give him a little bit more of a leash there, but I don't know if that's like your specialty and it's not coming through and you can't sort of get that side of the ball in order. I think it's fair to look at this stuff and, and kind of take a question about, is there somebody out there that's better that can do that? And I don't know if there is. And I think sometimes these fan bases delude themselves into thinking that the next coaching hire is just going to be the perfect one. When I think you, know, you look at the stats, like two thirds of coaching hires don't work. Mm-hmm. Like it's just tough to nail that hire. And you think you can have all the perfect pieces and, Tom Herman is perfect for Texas. Scott Frost is perfect for Nebraska. And, you know, early on, people were writing hosannas about how great Fuente was as a successor to Beamer. And then you get a couple of years in and you're like, this isn't working. Yeah. And I, I think it makes me wonder, like, okay, if this isn't working, like, then do you have any idea what would work? Because on paper, all these hires made perfect sense and they were going to work and they haven't worked out. So uh, I would pump the brakes on the fans. They're just like, fire him for the sake of firing him. Uh, if you're going to make a change, you got to have a plan after that. And you have to have a, somebody that like, okay, this is the guy that's going to make this work. And here's the reason why. And that, that's a tough thing to figure out sometimes. Yeah. And money obviously complicates everything. And Miami is a private school that, uh, you know, they've never really spent a lot of money on head coaches. Mark raked $4 million a year. That was, that's kind of been the, the peak for Miami. They don't they're you know, and, and let's face it, Andy, like, if you want a ready-made coach who's had experience winning elsewhere, you're probably paying well north of $4 million for him, right? I mean, right. Well, I mean, that's the thing with, with Fuente is all these fans are like, oh, he's a group of five coach that you came from Memphis. You're not going to win with a guy like that. I'm like, well, guess what? Guess where the next coach is coming from? <laughs> right. You're not luring an SEC coach away from a sitting job where they're making $5 million a year. It just doesn't work like that. Like, this is the pipeline for Virginia Tech. Uh, unless you can you can uh, you know pluck a, a lower level, not as well paid group of or a power five coach like I don't know somebody like Dave Clawson. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if you go to him and go, hey, would you like to make a little bit more money uh, at a public school than what you're making at Wake Forest? But 
Uh, if you don't do that, you can't find just the guy that's just sitting out there for some reason, or Tom Herman is sitting out there on the unemployment line right now. Uh, well, I think he's employed somewhere. I just not a head coach uh, somewhere. Uh, you know, unless you do that, you're probably hiring one of these up and coming coaches. And as we've seen, it's sort of a crapshoot. You know, yeah. Fuente has, hasn't worked out like people thought out of Memphis. Norvell hasn't worked out like people thought out of Memphis. Manny Diaz being promoted essentially i know they hired him from temple technically but he was basically an internal promotion there hasn't worked out like people thought it's tough to hire a coach and it's tough to make it work uh which is why i think a lot of these ad's are reluctant to make a change yeah i, I guess in manny diaz's case fuente as you said has had six years and and you kind of know already what you got in him right with manny diaz he hasn't even finished his third year and everybody wants him out um when you go back and you look at Fuente, were there signs in year three this wasn't going to work out? Like, was there ever a point earlier on where you thought, okay, maybe they need to cut the cord here? Because obviously he's been the hot seat for a while. But I guess for Miami listeners who are sitting here wanting him to to just you know be fired because the defense stinks, um, do, do you, when you look back at Fuente's situation, when is the right time? Like, when when can you really honestly make that assessment? See, I don't know because twenty eighteen was a bad year. And that mm-hmm. threw up, uh, you know, alarms and red flags all over the place. That was also a, a year where the roster was really strange. And it was sort of turning over that point where the, the last of the Frank Beamer guys, the good Frank Beamer guys were sort of uh, exiting the program. There were some problem attitudes, to say the least, that uh, needed some cleansing on the roster as well. Uh, you look at some of the latter Frank Beamer recruiting classes, and, and they had some good top end guys. They weren't the deepest classes. And I think that caught up to Fuente eventually. Uh, and that was sort of that turning point around there in 2018 when they were barely bowl eligible at six and six. Uh, had all sorts of off-season stuff that you hear about and, and, and stuff like that, or off the field stuff, I should say, where there's a little bit of discontent with the players. Uh, and then you add in the Bud Foster departure three years in. So that was sort of a weird transition. It's like, I think they described it as we're sort of trying to re- remodeled the plane while it was in the air. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't going to scratch you completely tear it down and completely start over. So I think that complicates it a little bit where you don't go, Oh, year three, he wasn't getting it done. You got to get rid of him. It was, it was a strange rebuild with Virginia tech, but now it's year six. He's these are all his players, all players he's recruited except for Tyrell Smith. Who's in his seventh year and is somehow a holdover <laughs> to the Frank Beamer era. <laughs> right. uh, this is his coaching staff. He's assembled this staff. And I know there are a lot of Bud Foster guys on that staff, but these are decisions that he's made. So for, for better or worse, this is his program at this point. You can't say, Oh, Frank Beamer didn't leave me this or anything like that. This is his program. Uh, so it's tough right now. I, I, I don't know what to do. It's it's, I think it's a $10 million buyout still, which is, you know, doable for a school like Virginia Tech. They could do that, but it's just, it's a lot of money. And they honestly, they haven't bought out a football coach since I think 1977. Wow. I mean, it's, it's been a long time, 77, 78, whenever Bill Dooley took over for Jimmy Sharp, that was the last time they fired a football coach because Dooley left in, in like a settlement. There's a whole thing about him being the AD. Beamer obviously retired and now Fuente, but they haven't had many football coaches over the years. So, uh, it'll be an interesting thing to see how it gets handled because I, I think Virginia Tech expects more than this, uh, but they haven't been more than this in a decade. So I'm, I'm curious if it's the program and kind of where it's at right now, or if it's a specifically a Fuente thing and, and a new coach could come in and, and sort of right this ship. 
It's an interesting situation because it's if um, Miami fans, you know, they say Diaz has been here for six years because he was coordinator, but he's only been the head coach and he's only been shopping for the offensive cart for the last two and a half. So, um, you know, and he made the change of coordinator uh, after year one with Dan Enos going to Rhett Lashley. I don't know, man. I, I think, you know, right now, he, I think he's going to get through the end of the season. I don't think they're going to fire him midseason. Doesn't make sense. I know that Barry Jackson from Miami Herald reported that he doesn't have an $8 million buyout, uh, you know, in terms of the, they, they have to pay him everything he's owed, um, especially if he gets another job. But still, I mean, Miami's a school that just has always operated on a limited budget, we'll call it that. And so it's hard for me to envision them pulling the plug uh, this quickly with him. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's funny. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of covering teams that, that have, to, you know, that fallen from grace. And, and you know, now you kind of reach that phase of when do you pull the plug with the coach? Uh, and when do you hit the reset button? And, and is there any, I don't know, um, light at the end of the tunnel? I, I don't know. I don't know for either program that there is. Well, I would I would suggest this to either Fuente or Manny Diaz. Don't go out and lose by like 50. Right. That's don't, like, don't give in, you know, give your detractors that opportunity to be like, all right, here's the perfect opportunity uh, to get rid of this guy. Because I, I think that was the, you know, that's what happened with Al Golden, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, all right, this is deteriorating. 58, like nothing. Get, Maybe get Clemson. to the end of the season and do this, and then you get embarrassed at home. Where I think was it Clemson like didn't even go in the locker room at halftime? They're just like, yeah, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is just embarrassing. You can't have a result like that. And well, Fuentes had Fuentes had a lot of those results over the years, especially against Pitt uh, yeah. on the road. So don't do that against Pitt. You know, my Miami gave up what sixty two last year to North Carolina. Don't do that mm-hmm. uh, this week. Don't give your superiors any reason to make a rash decision because you know they're going to be feeling the heat. Uh, from these fan bases. I mean, they, there's all sorts of ways to communicate with the ADs these days. And I know the ADs kind of sort of laugh it off and, oh, yeah, you know, fans will be fans. But when you're just inundated with all that stuff, it's going to seep into your brain and you're going to be like, I have to do something uh, to sort of save this program. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, that's probably the only thing that would get them fired. And But they haven't, the players to me haven't quit on Manny Diaz. And have they, I don't think they necessarily quit on Fuente either, right? I mean, this is still. No, I mean, they've lost they've lost two games. Mm-hmm. One, they had the ball at the three-yard line against West Virginia, needing a touchdown to win, couldn't punch it in. So they're right there at the end of that one. They were beating Notre Dame by eight in the fourth quarter, gave up 11 points, lost on a, basically a last-second field goal. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame's number, you know, whatever in the country, number 10, 12, where, wherever they ended up ranked this week. So it's not like this is a hopeless situation. At Virginia Tech, it's just it's to the point in Fuente's time here where it feels like every game is a referendum mm-hmm. and win or lose. If you win, people will be like, all right, you survived this week, basically. Uh, and if you lose, it's the end of the world. It's Armageddon. I mean, you should see the message boards right now. They're just, yeah. It's just it's a dumpster fire out there. So uh, that's a point you never want to be as a program. And it feels like that's where they are. And I, I don't know how you get off of that unless you you know, win 10 games or win the coastal or win the ACC or make a coaching change. Cause anything in between is going to be viewed as a failure by a lot of people, certainly Virginia tech, which was used to winning a, a coastal division titles for a long time. And now it's been, you know, one in the last 10 years that that's quite a drought for a program like the Hokies. 
Well, Miami's one in 17 years, so maybe that's why they're uh, they're ready to get rid of Manny Diaz after two and a half years. Andy, I appreciate you coming on, man, and I'm, I'm going to be sure to go on your podcast uh, the next time you, you ask me to, which might be this week, right? So we'll see. <laughs> we, yeah. The people yeah. might get a double dose of us this week. That's right. With different audiences. That's good. We can right. reach it out. <laughs> well, I'm glad Miami fans get to listen to uh, our Virginia Tech beat writer talk about their situation because I think sometimes down here in South Florida, they, they think they're the only ones suffering. And there's so many teams in college football that are suffering. And and six years of, of Justin Fuente, I guess Miami fans are probably sitting there saying, yeah, we don't want to go through that, right? We, we, we see the signs now. Get rid of them now. Let's, let's bring in some guy that's going to say everything. Mario Cristobal ain't walking through that door, man. He's not. Right. So right. I, I'd like to know who, who the replacement is and then and then make a decision on Diaz. And, and I think that's probably what Miami's administration is thinking, too. Um, we'll see where they go from here, who, who makes that hire. But right now we know this. No more De'Ara King. Tyler Van Dyke is the man the rest of the way. Should be an interesting finish to these final seven games. Andy, thanks for all your time. And be sure to check out uh, Andy's work, obviously, at The Athletic and, the, and the listen to Atlantic and Coastal. Download that podcast. He does a great job every single week. Thanks for having me, Manny. All right, man. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. We may be back with a bonus episode later this week if it if it if needed, but that's it for Wide Right. Thanks for listening. 305-954-568. This is the state of Miami. Y'all know y'all come down that way.